Hey, Oriole fans, welcome to another edition of Yard Work with Steve Molesky. I am Brian Eller. Steve, I know you just got wrapped up in Toronto. How's it going, man? It's going good, Brian. It's nice back to be back in the United States, but I love, I do love going to Toronto because anyone who's ever been there knows it's a beautiful city, nice city to be in. You don't have a lot of time to sightsee or anything on these trips, but uh, for the Orioles, obviously, and the fans, it was a great weekend to see the uh, team take three or four in a place that's been a house of horrors over the years for the Orioles. And, you know, in baseball, Brian, if you catch a team when they're down, the Blue Jays, for now, are still down. You want to jump on them, and the Orioles did, to their credit. They are 5-1 and one against the team that ended their season last year. I mean, did did you think that there was a little bit of exercise in the demons, you know, from, from last year, especially going to Toronto? I, I don't think so. I mean, really, it's not a conversation topic in the Oil Clubhouse. And in, in baseball, Brian, I think fans would be surprised. Players move on fast. Uh, I You know, Oriole players, I've told fans this, uh, I've been in the Oriole Clubhouse uh, within five minutes sometimes or ten after an incredible walk-off victory in front of 40,000 where the stadium is going crazy. The place is ridiculous. They're jumping all on top of each other. And then you walk in the clubhouse, and it looks like they're having lunch. Uh, no one's high-fiving or screaming. They get that out of their system on the field. They get in the clubhouse, and they move on to the next day. And so if they do that from game to game, they way do that from season to season. Sure. Uh, are, are they motivated generally to go further? That they are. Uh, they're like, man, we, we've, been, to the, we've been, to the, been there, done that in the playoffs. Now let's go there and go deep. But it's not like they say, that game, man, we're going up there to kick their butt because we lost here. And they're, they're kind of tired of talking about the wild card game and Zach didn't pitch and all of the above. And so, uh, to me, it was more about the 2017 team is off to a good start. And that was reflected over the weekend. It seems to make sense. I'm sure we as the fans probably enjoyed it a little bit more. Oh, yeah. I think you it's know, the thing like, hey, they know all the losses yeah. over the years in Toronto and the walk off and let's go get the Blue Jays and, you know, the rivalry against all the division rivals. But uh, the team, that, as Buck likes to say, they can't live in that world because there's too much emotion to put on one game, one series. You just go play and, and put your best foot forward and, and realize that the 11 games are down and there's only 151 to go. Right, right. We're on a home stretch, if you will. So, <laughs> Right. Um, so in the last week since we talked, the Orioles uh, completed the first road trip or started their first road trip of the season, um, went to Boston for a pair of games and split those, and then, as you said, uh, took three or four from the Blue Jays, who appear to be struggling. But, again, it's still early. There's a lot of time. Um, it seemed like there was a week where there was just as much action on the actual field and in the, in the box scores compared to in the clubhouse, a lot of moves being made. Uh, let's start with probably the biggest news. Again, we always joke about, you know, in Toronto, Britain not appearing. Well, he's not pitching for at least the time being again, but this time it's because he's headed to the disabled list, uh, placed on there on Sunday with left forearm soreness. Um, I guess what can you kind of tell us about that move and how serious is it? Should What's the level of, of worry or, uh, you know, what's going on with Britain there? Well, I'll answer it two ways. First of all, when you have an arm issue with a pitcher, you never can predict with 100% certainty what the next month or two is going to be because there can always be setbacks. Sometimes it goes totally smoothly, and you're back in 10 or 15 days, whatever, and everything's fine. With Brit, Remember in spring training with Zach Britton with that side issue, everybody was worried, oh, no, it's an oblique. It's going to linger all year. Well, at that they they got that 
taken care of. That's not an issue anymore. And so um, the second part of that is the feeling we got in talking with Buck pregame and Zach postgame is their level of concerns does legitimately seem low. Um, Britain said from now there is not even an MRI planned. So if they had any concerns about something more heinous than what it appears, they clearly would be doing an MRI. And they still might, just to be sure, rule out anything. But the initial uh, prognosis seems to be that it is a strain, and they'll shut them down for some time. Even Britain said yesterday, I don't know what I'm going to throw again. It's, it, we're day-to-day here. We're going to see each day how I'm feeling, what's going on, what Richie Bensells thinks, and we'll take it day by day. So in a week, obviously we'll know a lot more. And uh, But the level of concern today, as we speak, and with what they know, seems pretty low. You get the sense that, I mean, Britain, of course, isn't, he's perfect on save opportunities on the year. He's got a streak up to, I think it's 54, uh, I think five saves on the year. But the saves didn't come. They weren't the smoothest saves we've seen this year. Did you get the sense that he kind of knew that, okay, this is probably a, a beneficial move for me to at least, you know, kind of hamper down, even though the concern is low, just kind of right the ship before it gets, you know, you know, exacerbated or too out of hand, and then we got a real problem. Uh, did you feel like he's, 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 they're taking a long game approach and he's okay with that? Well, that's what they're doing. I mean, then that's what the Orioles are going to do with almost any pitcher, especially with one of their top pitchers. Same with Tillman. I mean, they're being slow and careful, methodical, and the thinking with Tillman and now with Britain is, okay, we're going to cut this off of the pass early. We're going to rehab it right the first time. If we have to keep him out two weeks too long rather than two weeks too short, we'll do it. And when we get him back, we want to keep him back. That's the hope. That's the goal. And sometimes medical science doesn't let that play out. And when you get back and start throwing 95, it doesn't let it play out. But that's what they're trying to do with both these pitchers because they're so critical uh, to the team. And so what we don't know uh, is uh, now Buck said that this happened on one specific pitch. You don't often hear that. And, and Buck took that as a good news, meaning he just felt it when he threw a curveball. Uh, well, now, does that mean never throw a cur- no, curve again? No. You have, to, you have to be able to throw all your pitches. But he's, like Buck pointed out, he's throwing 97 and 98 throughout that outing. Uh, <clears throat> so it wasn't like uh, we saw Zach Britton at 93 and said, what's going on here? And so, again, he took that as good news, and level concern is low for now. But one thing we might, it might have been a byproduct of this is we have seen Zach's command not at its usual uh, level in some of these appearances. He's had some great sinkers, and he's had some he left up, and we're not used to seeing him leave sinkers up in the zone. And so he's given up a 300-plus batting average so far. He hasn't been as dominant, even though he's been pretty darn good, as we know, as the 2016 Zach, and maybe this is why. Maybe there was something in that forearm that was that was going to show itself, and it showed itself on a curveball Friday night. It probably is a little bit more encouraging, at least when you can identify what what causes that to happen. You know, being the curveball, I, I can only imagine it's doubly frustrating when a pitcher goes out, or even a hitter goes out, and they just have this nagging injury that they can't figure out what what causes it or what makes it flare up. So at least they can kind of identify and hopefully centralize that that treatment. And like you said, get them back before missing too much time. You know. Well, pitchers are different. You know, if a runner slides in the second base and he twists his ankle sliding in there on a double. We know how he got hurt, when he got hurt, and what got hurt, and then they know how to fix that. Sometimes with a pitcher, 
there's soreness develops in the shoulder or elbow. Sometimes you're out a month, you're fine. Sometimes you have Tommy John surgery. And when we don't know how that developed. Was it when he was 14 and he pitched too many pitches? Was it in high school, that state championship game, when he had to go nine innings? You know, was it, you know, on the farm? You know, when usually when they get these kids in pro ball, they're conservative with their arms. So they don't get hurt. But, but with, so with a pitcher, many times something develops, and, and Dr. Andrews can't tell you exactly when and where it occurred. Absolutely. Um, so in the meantime, uh, again, hoping it's not the longest time ever, but uh, the Orioles are going to kind of have to look for somebody to take Britain's place in those close closing situations. Uh, you've got a number of different candidates. That I would feel like Brad Brock is the front runner just based on the early season success he's had. I think he only allowed one hit in uh, about six innings of work. He's actually only – I don't think he's had much career experience in the majors with saves, but I remember correctly he spent some time in the minors coming up and in a closer role and, and, and notched a handful of saves. And there's also uh, – got Darren O'Day. You can also – it's not – out of the realm possibility to kind of go by committee, seeing who's fresh, given on the you know the certain day. What sort of your your thought on uh, you know who's going to fill into that role for the time being? We have plenty of options, all good, and so I would use Brock. Uh, what I've seen this season, he looks like the early season first half Brad Brock from 2016 is back, mid 90s, uh, slider sharp, splitter, falling off the table. And that's the weapon against left-handed batters. So, for me, this is the guy. He can handle it. If he has a misstep in one, I think he's fine to come back. And uh, that's what I'd go with. And then you kind of can keep people in roles. You're not switching guys around every night, which Buck is fine doing that if he had to. But I think in his in the best-case scenario, you kind of like to, let's kind of order this in some semblance of order. And so if you go Brock 9, you know, you have O'Day 8, you have Hart and Gibbons 6 and 7. And you can throw some others in that mix, and so you should be in pretty good shape. Yeah, and I think I think again, it all goes. Back, I feel like everything goes back to starting pitching because it is kind of a row of dominoes. You know, the starting pitching, which has been uh, also a great start this year, and if they can get those that extra inning or two from their starts on average, hey, that's you know another inning where the bullpen doesn't have to come out. And all of a sudden, you've got guys that are a little bit more fresh, and you can go on a committee basis or slide everybody back so that Brock becomes the closer for the time being. Again, we're hoping this isn't for for too long, but you know you got to do with what you you don't want to rush Britain back. You want to make sure everybody's healthy, and, and that's that's certainly a way to do it. So, yeah, they're not, they're not going to rush him back. We I can guarantee you that uh, Buck and Dan, the, that's not the plan. Let's rush him back. We got to have him as soon as ten days are up. Nope, you got to have him healthy. <laughs> if it takes thirty days. So be it. Uh, Zach, Zach Britton. If this were the playoffs, the World Series, you might rush him back. But with a long season, it's April. They won't. They have good options in the interim that can hold their own that are not Zach Britton, but know who is. But they'll do the best they can. And so, uh, so going back to the starting pitchers, that was a very good weekend of starting pitching. Four quality starts in four games, 185 ERA. I'm not sure when. That's happened before. They don't often play four-game series, but going four for four with quality. And to me, uh, an under-the-radar thing here is Wade Miley's two outings, which have been really good. Uh, he walked a lot of people we know the first time. But he and Caleb are working great together. His his slider looks good. His breaking ball looks good. And so that would be so big. I mean, how big would that be for the Orioles if Wade Miley 
could have a good year, or even just uh, uh, you know an okay year, a low four ZRA year uh, would be a lot of value there because I know fans think a ZRA is going to be seven. And so right now they're going, who is this Wade Miley? Well, we saw him at the end of last year. We did see this. It took a while, but once he turned around, it's kind of carried over from the end of last year for him. Definitely, and I think, you know, he's only he's sitting at a two four five ERA only only you know only through two starts. But like you said, I don't think expectations for him were 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 that great. A lot of that expectations from the starting rotation were put on you know the the, the three main guys at the top, Tillman and and Gosman and Bundy, especially those younger guys, Gosman and Bundy. And Miley's kind of sitting there, and like you said, if you paid attention to the end of last year, hey, he showed showed exactly why he belongs you know, in a starting rotation, and he's kind of carrying over this year and saying, hey, guys, you know what, uh, I know everybody was leaning on, you know, Kevin and Dylan while Tillman is on the men there, and we'll talk about him in a little bit, but I think, my, I wonder if Miley kind of sat there and said, hey, I got you guys too, you know what, we're going to be okay, we're going to make it through this, and um, our starting rotation is, is we're going to we're gonna be okay, we're going to help uh, guide this team back to the playoffs again. Well, you know, um Caleb and Miley have really made a good tandem here. Now, it doesn't mean Wellington can't catch him. He can and he will. And Buff doesn't really like personal catchers. But if they've gone that well for two starts, I've got to pair them up for the third whenever that comes around for Miley. And it, no, also, gives, it also makes sure you get Caleb in there because, you know, he Wellington is not going to play every night. Caleb's going to spot in some. And I think Caleb's going to get his RBI center in and we'll get all past all that nonsense and and he'll he'll chunk in some hits this year. So, um, you know, right now, you know, when Miley's turn comes up again, I'm sending Caleb out there if I, if, it, if I were making the lineup. I stick with what works. Why not? So, um, we talked mentioned briefly about Tillman uh, again as Britton goes on the disabled list. Tillman's working his way back, um, late to pitch uh, Monday night in Double A Bowie. Um, I know, Bowie's your your home away from home, Steve. I know you really like hanging out there and, uh-huh. and seeing these guys in the, in the minors and, and going through the rehab assignments. Uh, what are you looking for from Tillman tonight? I know he's scheduled to throw about mm, three innings or so, not not go the whole game. But what what are we looking for from Tillman in terms of the progression? Just that he gets his work in, he gets his forty five pitches or so. Uh, if he gives up a run or two, I'm not worried about it. If he feels good and he's healthy and he and he and he gets out of it what he wants and so that's really it. Don't don't worry about the pitching line. Worry about how he feels after tonight and tomorrow. Really, is also important. Um, sometimes it doesn't. If you if you if you have something, you want to wait a day or two and see. So you can take it step by step with Tillman. Uh, if the plan goes the way they want it to go, I think he'd throw three minor league rehab outings, counting the one. You know, it's tonight as we tape this. When fans mm-hmm. listen, it'll be over with probably. But uh, so three, just counting with the first one in Bowie, and then May second pitch for the Orioles. That's that's the plan they have mapped out that they want to unfold. Showalter has said if we find that he needs another re- rehab tune-up or two, we'll give it to him. You know, you can pitch for 30 days on the rehab assignment, so um, <clears throat> he could make more than three minor league starts, and he will if they feel he needs it. He needs it there for his command, his control, build up his arm, whatever. But if they can get him three and back to the majors, that's what they're going to do. You're saying we're not 
don't pay attention to the box score today. And at least it's I, I don't think you should. I mean, if he gives up two runs, so I know fans are going to write to me and go, "Uh oh, Steve," and I'm going to go, "Listen, man, don't." Because listen, this is what this is what we did about Dylan Bundy in spring. Remember? Oh, ZRA seven. They hit him. He gave up those home runs. And this is to Chris's spring, <clears throat> and it's all about him being healthy. If Chris Tillman is healthy. He can pitch good in the American League, no matter how many runs he gives up at Bowie, and so uh, we can't. We just shouldn't stress. What we would love to see is as fans, Brian, is three innings, you know, one hit, no runs, four strikeouts. He rolled through the innings, and we go, wow, okay, great, we're on, we're on our way. But if that doesn't happen, and he's healthy, that's really the headline. So that's what we're looking for. Of course. And- <clears throat> As you mentioned, we did that with Bundy last year, and he seems to be—he seems to be doing okay. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just—we did it in spring training, and 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 I—I I pointed out on my blog, and I talked to Dylan. He was working on right on right change up. He was working on some things, and and who remembers now that that Dylan Bundy's spring stats weren't good? Anybody? Yeah, it's 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 a thing of the past for sure. Yeah, I can answer that. No one is no one is no one even remembers Dylan Bundy's spring stats now, and it was only a couple weeks ago we were talking about it. I'm gonna look him up while we're recording. Let me what's the let's go to the next topic, and then I'm gonna read I'm gonna read Dylan Bundy's spring stats. Today. Absolutely, we'll come back to him. I I, I want to talk about Akash Trey Mancini. I mean, for impressive as the pitching has been, I feel like. Boy, Mancini stepped in. Again, it's it's still a small sample size. We could go another month or two in the season, and it would still be a relatively small sample size, especially for uh, a, a guy who's enjoying his first full season in the majors. But, I mean, my gosh, you can't really ask much more from this kid, especially at the plate, for what he's been delivering. And that's Toronto series. Uh, uh, my goodness, he just uh, had himself a, a weekend. Okay, here you go, Brian. Then we'll talk about Trey. Uh, gotcha. Dylan Bundy in spring training. His ERA was 7.41, and in 17 innings, he allowed six home runs. I'm not a doctor, but that's not very good. His whip was 135, 741 ERA. That looks terrible. And so, again, who cares? (laughs) Dylan Bundy's got a 185. Dylan Bundy's ERA is 1.85, and he's pitched pretty good. So, Trey Mancini, that's a revelation. Um you know, to me, baseball with all our stats, and it's just remarkable that in the history of the sport, uh, there have been three players who, in their first, at the end of their first 12 major league games, had hit seven home runs, and he is one of three. <clears throat> and stats go back. Uh, stats LLC, which I will pa- stat was passed on to me this morning that I published in my blog today, MassinSports.com. So, anyways, uh, tells us three players have. At the end of their first 12 major league games, seven homers. Trey Mancini, Trevor Story, who did it just last year, and Dino Rostelli, who I've never heard of, who did it in 1949. And so uh, Kurt Bleffrey, by the way, did it in 1965 for the Orioles with six. So he's one shy, and he went on to win the Rookie of the Year. And I think Trey would be okay if he won Rookie of the Year, yes. uh, which he's eligible for. And so what a great start for him. I mean, right now he's just locked in. He's uh, He's explained to me a couple times now that the key to this whole thing is is what is his load. And people who may not understand technical hitting, and some of this goes over my head too, but watch Trey when he bats. He wiggles the bat to kind of his pre-swing routine, and he starts his leg kick. He times it just perfectly, so when he explodes with the swing, he's right where he needs to be. 
And and that's been on not only fastballs but breaking balls. He had a breaking ball for the second homer Sunday. So what's great about that is his load and his timing is really good right now, and it's good not on just fastballs. And 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 the first homer, the guy worked him away, away, away. Then he tried to sneak a fastball in the inside corner at 95, which a lot of hitters you would be able to sneak that because now you got the hitter thinking outside and you bust him in. Well, Mancini turned on it and hit it 108. And so, so this is legit what he's doing at the moment. It doesn't mean he's going to hit 40 homers, Brian. He's hot right now. He's rolling. He's locked in. And it's fantastic to see it couldn't happen to a better kid uh, who's handling it so well. Uh, so he'll, he'll hit a rough spot here. They all do. But it's, it's, um, his power potential is legit. His bat speed is legit. His smarts, his knowledge, uh, all this stuff, uh, you know, scouts have told me if he played 160 games, he might hit 30. Well, maybe maybe he could do well that and way. more. Definitely well on his way. And I I kind of noticed, you know, of course, the offense broke out, saw a lot of homers, and it, it's kind of becoming evident that maybe Toronto is going to have sort of a down year and struggle, so hard to take too much away from that. But um, I, I was really impressed and happy to see uh, Jonathan Scope sort of break out on this road trip, not only in Toronto, but even even in Boston, uh, yeah, he's have a five-game hitting streak now, uh, multiple hits in, in four out of those five games. And I think when he, uh, looking at the numbers, when the Orioles left for the road trip on April 11th, he was hitting just a buck twenty-five. Not you know, still early, still getting his his rhythm down. Um, as we sit here today filming this, he's he's about two eighty-nine. So I, again, there's still time. It's still so early in the season where a, a good day or a bad couple of days can really swing the the pendulum there in terms of, of average, but it was nice to see him kind of get into a rhythm. He and, and J.J. Hardy, too. I think that will only help build their confidence and can only mean, you know, good things uh, moving forward there. Well, he and Hardy both had good series, so that was indeed good to see because they're uh, lower in the order bats. Mm-hmm. I mean, Scope, you can hit him a little higher, but on this lineup, he's, he's probably not going to hit higher than six, most nights seventh, and that's a real nice weapon down in the order to have. And so, uh, we interviewed Scope, uh, which day they all run together a couple days ago, uh, before the game. And I was impressed, uh, with him in terms of he handled starting two for 19 or whatever that was really well. Cause he said, I'm having some good swings. I'm not chasing. Um, I'm not expanding the zone much. And so I think it'll come. I feel good about my swing. And it's kind of mature to hear a young guy. Cause I mean, even he's still a young guy, Brian, even though he's played, a while now, and you know, he seems like a veteran. Uh, he's still a young kid, so sometimes when they go two for twenty, it turns into you know four for fifty. But he kind of relaxed. He's just relaxed about it. I'm swinging well. Just keep playing. That you know, Buck doesn't bench guys when they're going bad because he wants them to just grind through it. And that's what he did. It's the ups and downs of the year. And that kid's got a lot of potential too. I mean, if he can eliminate <clears throat> chasing the pitches. Which may, if he does, I really want to see what he can do because I think it's going to be hard for him. I think that's kind of who he is, a la Adam Jones. They're similar in that, but they also are similar in that they can do a lot of damage, and and they're going to. Sure, definitely. It was it was good to see and be part of why the Orioles were able to walk away with a successful road trip. Um, I kind of you know looking forward, uh, the Orioles are continuing their road trip. I kind of like when the Orioles play teams that they, you don't see very often, you know, or at least travel to ballparks where they really haven't been. Just kind of a little variety. You know, you, as much as you, you like watching the games against the Yankees and the Blue Jays and the Red Sox, a little variety is nice every now and again. So um, as the road trip continues, the Orioles are actually going to 
Cincinnati for a three-game set starting on Tuesday. Um, the Reds are like the Orioles, off to a great start. I think they're they're eight and five and sitting atop the the Central Division, which even as early as it is, I don't think many people would have predicted that out of the gates. They seem to be a pretty balanced team so far. Um, I guess what are we looking for from the Reds, and what what do you know about them? And, and kind of are we just looking for more from the Orioles that we've seen to kind of keep the success train going? Yeah, I don't know much about the Reds at all, so I'm not going to bluff you with an answer uh, in terms of following them. I know they were like 7-2, and two and they've lost a couple. So uh, I like the Orioles' chances there as long as they can keep the focus going. All these off days, it's in baseball, you get into that everyday rhythm, and they haven't done it yet. But they're, uh, you know, the one thing with I look at right now is the American League East is playing good again. The Yankees are on a roll. Mm-hmm. Um, the Red Sox are right there. The Rays got off to a good start, and only Toronto is really, they're not out of it, certainly, but they're, they've got a lot of work to do. So as good as the start is for the Orioles, and as we tape this, they have the best record in the major leagues, they're only lead by a half game. So we've seen this before in this division. You can play great, you can play well, and someone will always be on your heels. So the Orioles got to go into Cincinnati and try to keep the roll going, maybe ride some of this power. You know, it's been inconsistent power, Brian, because they've had games of five, four, and four home runs in the last five games, but they also had two games of no home runs. Right. And we know we've seen this with the Orioles. We know they can hit four, they can hit none. We've seen both. So uh, it's never going to smooth out, by the way. Fans want it, too. They want to go, I want two homers every night. If we're going to hit, if they're going to hit the, uh, 250, get two a night. Well, that's not even an average of two a night to start with, and it's just not going to be consistent. But... Uh, so anyway, bl- I bluffed you there because I don't know much about the Reds, but we'll no, see them. It'll, it'll be interesting to see uh, an early interleague series. And the Oriole pitchers were doing a little bit of work in Toronto. I know. I, I hate that. I hate having to see an Oriole pitcher who never bats now stand in and face 95. It's just not p- fun for me to watch. Right. But, you know, they could offer a pleasant surprise. You know, you, you never know. You got the next Madison Bumgarner, you know, sitting there. So, but, uh, oh, I don't think sure. they have that on this team. They have, you know, Zach <laughs> Britton might be. We we've hope. seen Britton be Bumgarner, but he ain't hitting in this series, so we That's know right. that. That's right. So, um, talking about the power, um, I know we talked before, you know, off, off camera there, off the recording that, uh, Guy in Delmarva seems to be, uh, boy, showing off a lot of his power, or at least uh, going through a, a nice string to start the season. Some guy named Jake Ring. What do you, what do you know about Jake? What yeah, I don't know him? much. I mean, he's a 31st round draft pick uh, last year out of the University of Missouri, and he went and played Gulf Coast League uh, ball, and they bumped him up to uh, Delmarva, his first year full season ball. Didn't hit much in the first few games, but in the last four games, he's been Mancini like, maybe even better. In terms of uh, batting average, uh, outfielder Jake Ring at Delmarva, the last four games, is 12 for 17 with six doubles, two triples, and eight runs batted in. That's eight extra base hits in four games. I mean, that is, you know, and he didn't even use Trey Mancini's bat, as far as I know. (laughs) So that's pretty impressive. And so I I don't know if he's a prospect or someone they really like. I, I haven't talked to anybody about him, but I will. And so Cedric Mullins, I know, continues to hit. That's pretty right. been impressive, Brian. He leads all Oriole minor leaguers, batting four fifty five. Joe Marreyes at Frederick. This is encouraging. Young kid did not have good uh, season in sixteen. Is off to a good start. Four twenty five. 
Adderlin Rodriguez, a veteran first baseman, is doing well at Bowie. Austin Hayes, uh, the outfielder, third-round pick last year, got bumped to Frederick, hitting 349. Randolph Gassaway is an outfielder in Frederick. Some fans are starting to learn his name, 333. Uh, Pitching-wise, uh, Elfelke Peralta is off to a good start at Frederick, ERA of 1. Zach Muckenhern, 11th-round pick last year, 084 ERA at Delmarva. Ryan Meisinger is a reliever at Bowie, great start. 12 strikeouts, 8 innings. Alex Wells, the Australian lefty, doing well at Delmarva. Cody Sedlock is 1-0 with a 2-4-5 through two starts. I mean, man, there's some things to like about the farm so far. I think that's so encouraging, too, because that was sort of the, the knock on, on the organization, at least for you know the past couple of years, was that there's not a lot of depth there. The cupboard's kind of kind of bare, but it, uh, to have all this, this encouraging news is, is great. And one thing I, I can attest for, at least for Buck, and I'm sure you'll back me up this boy, I've never seen a manager so meticulous about what's going on in every facet of the organization. He's not just concerned with the guys up at the top, you know, in, in the majors on the roster. He he wants to know about, you know, so-and-so's at-bats down in, in Delmarva or in Bowie or how this start went. And he's he's just so locked into everything. And he's it, it, it's an obsession, really, but it's, it's a good obsession because, hey, it means uh, it's usually more success for the, for the organization. But, yeah, boy, he, he just seems to be so locked in and so genuinely – concerned or interested and in, in wanting to see these guys developed not only to, to bring success to the ball club, but also to see these guys who work really hard and, and it's their dream, obviously, to achieve that success. Well, he does follow it. We know that for sure. And my particular specific case, it's really fun for me because I'm the reporter he'll turn to in the middle of the press conference and go, hey, Steve, did you see Sedlock last night? <laughs> and, you know, and, and then when the press conference is over, we'll talk five more minutes about it, which is fun for me because I just love to talk to Buck off the cuff. And and you kind of get a sense of who he's tracking, who he's following, and he'll he'll give you some, he'll give you some nuggets uh, now and then uh, for your reporting. Um, and so, uh, but the one thing he's created since he's been here that I love, because I didn't see it all the time, is a manager who will, and this this resonates, in the middle of his press conference, when he says that, did you guys see what Sedlock did at Frederick? And a, one of us writes it, or it appears on Masson. The people in Frederick are like, wow, did you see Buck talk about us today? And that's big. On the, in the, right. on the farm where those people are, are working 20-hour days to try to get a crowd of 5,000 people and make make some money and run a good franchise. And it resonates for the people in the front office. It resonates in the dugout. The players, you know, the plural pitchers at Bowie tonight know I could get called up tomorrow. You know, Stephen Crichton went to was at Norfolk this year, but mostly he was at Bowie last year. And Donnie Hart got called up from Bowie. And Michael Givens got called up from Bowie. You never know. You never know. And Alec Asher just got here, and they called him up. So, I mean, just go do your job, show the organization you can help, and you might get a chance. Crichton was not even on the 40-man roster, and he's the guy they called. So that, to a player in the Oriole Minor Leagues, is energizing. They know that this team uses its farm system, and they, and they, and they all have a little chip on their shoulder, Brian, because they're tired of hearing the farm is no good. They're just tired of it. Right. And it's it's not accurate. It's not. And I'm I, I give these these fan websites crush me, Homer Steve talking about the farm. Well, look at some of the guys that have helped. I mean, at some point you have to say maybe Steve made a good point there because. And I'm not being a Homer when saying there are some guys who can help, but everybody wants Mike Trout, okay, or Mookie Betts. 
And if the Orioles don't produce that, well, the Red Sox did. Well, they did. Congratulations to them. That's incredible they produced Mookie Betts. And their farm system is better than the Orioles. We know that. But that doesn't mean the Orioles' farm system can't help this team win. And it has done that, and I think it will continue to. And I'm just, uh, end of rant, Brian. That's it. I'm done. Definitely. No, that was that was well well deserved. And, and you're right. I think I think the for all the misconceptions that the organization gets, or even just the sport itself, it's it's that farm system for the birds. It's it's it's, it's more loaded than than people give it credit for, and it's developing maybe not the way fans want to see it on, on Sports Center or things like that, but it's developing the way that Dan Duquette and Buckshaw Walter want it to happen. And like you said, it's all about having the farm system contribute to the the, the big league club and having these players develop on their own right. track and, 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 get the, and get the job done. And these organizational rankings, which they're accurate. The Orioles should be ranked, in my opinion, down in organizational rankings because of this reason. Those rankings basically reflect one major fact. Not not only this fact, but mostly this fact. How many top-ranked prospects do you have? How many top 100s? The Orioles have one right now. There was a time three or four years ago when they had four or five. They had mm-hmm. Gosman, they had Bundy, they had Scope, and they had Eduardo Rodriguez. When they had those four all in the top 100, the Orioles were the number 10 farm system in baseball, and all the fans said, wow, we're number 10. Well, all four of those kids are in the major leagues, mostly doing well, and that was why. So, yeah, you, 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 if, you're, if you're a fan, you want to get up and read, the Orioles have five top 100s, and maybe that will happen next year. Who knows? The Sedlock could move into that. Hunter Har- a healthy Hunter Harvey is a top 100. You know, Mancini, by the way, was never in anybody's top 100. Let's consider that. Okay, so it doesn't it doesn't mean Trey Mancini couldn't help the Orioles, right? Trey Mancini was never a lead prospect. You think you think that stopped him from hitting any home runs? Seems to be doing okay. Doesn't look like it did. So sure, everybody would like to say our farm system has six top 100s, but the bottom line is you want to be able to say our farm system sent some players to Baltimore and the Orioles won. And they have won since 2012, and there's been some homegrown guys contribute. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I got a chip on my shoulder about it too. And part of it is Brian is personal for me, and I don't mean personal in, for me, Steve. I mean it's personal for me knowing Kenny Steenstra and Brian Graham and Gary Kendall and all the people I've known for years and years sure. and years who are good people, work hard, and can produce talent. I'm convinced of it. And these people, um, they've been trashed a lot by some of this. It hurts them uh, because they work 20 hours a day, and then they get on the website and read their farm system stinks. And right. so it doesn't stink. Uh, and we have players that show you it doesn't. Right. They're, they're proving people wrong, and I'm, I'm happy for it because I hope it continues for sure. So, um, so Steve, I guess as we move forward again, the Orioles are uh, – Continuing out that road trip, finishing up with three games in Cincinnati, a nice little rare treat to see him out there in Ohio, and then they come back for, what do you know, more AL East rivalry. It's, it's a, a large chunk to start the season, but that's okay. That's, a like you said, a great division that's playing really well, top to bottom. Uh, you got three against Boston and then three versus the Rays. Um, Steve, got anything else on your radar? Nope. Well, let's like the team. I'm taking it one day at a time, and, uh, kind of uh, this Monday as we tape this, enjoy a couple hours of downtime anyway, and then get that back into it. And Rock will be with the team in Cincinnati, 
and then we'll all reconvene in Baltimore this weekend. And, you know, I, I, I like the American League East games. I just do. I mean, I'd rather, I'm going to, you know, Cincinnati, it'll be interesting to see. I'd rather see the Orioles play the Red Sox. That's just me personally. Mm-hmm. Even though if we play so, you know, you see the team play so much, I just like it, man. I just like these rivalries. I like the familiarity of it. And bring it on, man. Orioles, Red Sox. I can't wait to see that series, but we'll watch, we'll see them in Cincinnati first. And we'll watch the pitchers try to hit or, or stand there and take three strikes. And, right. <laughs> you know, uh, let's see it if Miley can keep it going and if Ubaldo can start to get something on track here because he's been bad, as we know, and right. he needs to join the party. And so, uh, you know, 11 games have been fun, so we're, it's a small slice, and let's get on to the next slice of the pie. Absolutely. So, fans, thanks for listening this week. Be sure to check us out every Wednesday on MassInSports.com. You can also find us on iTunes and on SoundCloud. So, until then, we'll see you next week.